You're listening to Divorce Literacy with the Divorce Lending Association, a divorce podcast where we dig deep into issues of divorce that center around the marital home, other real property, and divorce mortgage planning, helping divorcing homeowners and their divorce team make more informed decisions regarding home equity solutions during and after divorce. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning, John. We're here with Jennifer Hatch from Jennifer Hatch Law. And Jennifer, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Great. I'll uh, read your bio and ask you a few questions. Sounds good. So Jennifer's practice concentrates in family law with a specialty in a non-adversarial divorces. Although Jennifer is an experienced litigator, she now focuses her family law practice on collaborative family law and mediation. These non-adversarial dispute resolution options empower families to resolve disputes without the trauma that litigation can exaggerate. So collaborative family law, I've been hearing more and more of that. So what, what is that approach, the collaborative? So the collaborative approach focuses on forming a team around both spouses. So each spouse has an attorney. There's a coach whose underlying profession is usually a mediator, sometimes a therapist. Um, However, they don't um, provide therapy uh, to the clients. Rather, they're there to manage the process. I think of them like case managers or um, project managers. Um, and what and the reason why they usually have a background in mediation or uh, therapy is because they need to understand the emotions in the room and manage the emotions of the clients and how that impacts their judgment and decision making, as well as the attorneys. You know, so that the attorneys don't fall back into an adversarial mindset. Um, and how even sometimes emotions might affect, you know, what an attorney does during a meeting, you know, as best we, as best we try, sometimes attorneys can let emotions take um, control of their behaviors as well. So the next part, a part of the team is a financial advisor in many cases, not all, but in many, and that individual acts as a neutral where they provide information on the financial picture of the family and how to divide it, how to divide the assets and provide support so that both sides of um, the family can move independently, move forward independently and separately. And then the last part of this structure, this team, is that everybody signs an agreement that they're not going to take this matter to court. They're not going to litigate. So that... um, eliminates that risk of like, well, I don't like how this this is going. So I'm just going to, you know, file in court and take this to court if you're not doing what I want you to do or agreeing with me. Um, It really places the pressure on the parties to dig deep and find a resolution to the problem. Now, of course, you're not, um, there's no consequence if you decide to leave the collaborative process. I mean, some parties do, um, but for the most part, people enter it with the desire to solve it, to solve the restructuring of the family um, and work together outside of the core. And so they commit themselves to that. Okay. Now, now how, how would someone even think to reach out to this approach? 
So there are actually a lot of attorneys in Massachusetts that are trained in collaborative law. So it's really incumbent upon the attorney to explain this process to the client when they call um, and present it as an option. I also think when you're looking for an attorney, when you're in the client shoes and you're looking for an attorney, you want to look on the website for um, something that indicates they are trained in collaborative law. There are attorneys, I, I do mention that there are a lot of attorneys out there that are trained, but for those who are not, they might say, oh, sure, yeah, I can work amicably, I can work collaboratively, that's fine, no problem, we can resolve this outside of court. But the collaborative process is really a paradigm shift um, where, you, where you advocate for your client's interests, but the focus is not adversarial, the focus is on problem solving. So without that training, if the attorney is not trained, they really don't have that shift in thinking, that paradigm shift. Um, and inevitably, cases often follow, fall into the adversarial um, process. Okay, so if the attorney is not tra collaboratively trained. Right. I would imagine that if someone were to go down this path, right, when you first meet with them, you probably want to ask both parties, you know, what, there is life after divorce. What do you want it to look like? What's your right? Yeah, exactly. So, so I think that kind of I would like to think that would keep folks focused on the end goal, you know, because it's there might be some little bumps along the way, but as long as they're still looking at the the vision, it yeah. might make it a lot easier to keep moving this thing. Yeah, and I think also when you when you participate in the collaborative process. <clears throat> both parties have to buy into it. You know, unfortunately, sometimes I have clients who, who want to do it and I send a letter to the other spouse proposing the idea and then I provide collaboratively trained attorneys, the names of collaboratively trained attorneys in my letter um, and as well as um, reference to the website, the Massachusetts Collaborative Law Council website to encourage that person to look into it. Um, Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. They just have a picture in their mind as to how the process, the divorce process is supposed to be. And they um, are not interested in the collaborative process, which is unfortunate. But um, I do find that my collaborative training allows me to approach cases um, in, um, in a better way than if I didn't have it. So I can shift, I can take the, tension or the tone or the tenor of the case down a little bit when people start to get fired up. Um, my mediation and my collaborative law training um, allows me not to inflame sometimes tense situations and maybe bring bring everybody down a bit um, and approach it a different way. The other thing that you mentioned about looking ahead and what does your life want to look like, the other thing that I do is I'm concilium trained, um, and concilium is a new um, is a new perspective uh, on how attorneys should practice in family law. And one of the focuses in the concilium process is to um, empower and encourage the client to look in their look at their future. Like you mentioned, how do I want my future to look, and then how do we shape the separation agreement around that? instead of keeping your focus on what you want out of the divorce. Okay. And how do you um, move it along without having one of the other parties feel that you're favoring the other spouse or whatever? 
I'm sure that. Oh, in the collaborative process, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, it's, I yeah, imagine. So, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? No, because I would imagine that uh, it's it's tough to be hundred percent of the times fifty fifty, at least in in the client's eyes. They might just, you might be happen to speak to one spouse a little more than the other, just not intentionally. Just might have maybe maybe that's the way the conversation's going, and the other one's probably saying, "Oh, she's she's favoring you over me or whatever." Yeah. T- yeah me. So actually, that's a risk. I think. In, in either mediation or the collaborative process. So when I act as a mediator, um, you know, mediators are supposed to be neutral, just like in the collaborative. Well, in the collaborative process, the attorneys aren't neutral. I mean, they are, they are advocating for their clients' interests, but they're also looking at it from a big picture perspective. The two attorneys are looking to solve and restructure their family so that both people aren't harmed. So the difference is um, in mediation, the mediator is a, is a neutral um, and I'm supposed to focus on drawing out um, the interests of the of the people in front of me. Like, what is their interests? What is what is driving them to say what they are saying or propose the ideas that they're proposing? Because if the parties understand their own as well as the other's interests, it helps them um, instead of positions. Interests is why you're doing something as opposed to position is I want this. Right. Um, so once people start to understand the interests of themselves and the other people, it allows them to problem solve more easily. And so that's true. It's there is a risk where one client might sort of perceive me in a mediation setting to be favoring one spouse more than the other. But what I I mean, this comes down to the skill of the mediator. I mean, what I try to do is be mindful of my own biases and then um, use curiosity to redirect the conversation as well as keep myself, my mind open. Um, so I ask a lot of questions and sometimes clients will go home from a mediation session with homework. You know, they'll present a question and it's not my job always to answer it, but I might say to them, well, how are you going to figure that out? And they'll say, well, I'll ask my attorney or I'll ask my accountant or I'll call human resources at my company. Okay, great. Well, that's the homework. Um, so in a collaborative process, um, in the collaborative process, what the attorneys are trained to do, which is very different from the adversarial process, is to actually engage the other spouse. So if I'm sitting in a room with the other attorney opposite me and the non-client spouse opposite me and then my client sitting next to me, <clears throat> if you are in litigation, you're really not supposed to talk to that other spouse. But in the collaborative process, I actually can engage that other spouse and get to know them and learn about who they are. And I prepare my own client for that, you know, because that's part of the collaborative process is to understand both sides so that when I'm advocating for your interests, I'm also sort of aware of what the other side is interested in. And that keeps you from being singularly focused on just what your client wants. But it keeps you on the big picture, going back to what you were saying, like, how how is their life going to be as co-parents? What is the future going to look like, not only for my client, but for both of them? All right. Awesome. So when, when someone's researching all this, like, what, what would you say that they should be looking for? You know, whether it's uh, when they start interviewing different folks. 
Yeah, they should definitely, first when they look at a, well, first, if they're just looking at the processes, the collaborative process and the mediation process, they want to go to the Massachusetts Collaborative Law, um, MCLC, Massachusetts Collaborative Law Council website, MCLC. Um, they can also go to the Massachusetts MCFM, Massachusetts Council of Family Mediators, MCFM, um, to learn about both processes. And in terms of when you're looking at an attorney, well, first, both of those websites actually do list mediators and attorneys. But when you're also looking at a website for a lawyer or a law firm, you can tell um, by the language that they use. You know, first, you want to see if they've been trained um, in the collaborative process through MCLC um, and or trained as a mediator. Um, and there's lots of organizations in Massachusetts that train mediators, so it doesn't have to be MCFM. It can be another one. Um, and then you also want to look at the actual language that um, the attorney uses. So, for example, I just looked on the website of an attorney yesterday. And the language on the website was, I'm a litigator. Um, I assume all cases go to trial. <laughs> unfortunately, people, unfortunately, um, more cases go to trial these days than settle. Um, so you. So even if um, you, you want to make sure that your attorney, when you choose an attorney, you want to make sure that your attorney is not afraid of trial. Um, you have to walk into the situation assuming you have to try a case and that your client is and your attorney is prepared. If you settle, great. But and it was that's how this that's how this website was designed. And I mean that was that's that's an extreme. But there actually are a lot of. Um, websites and biographies that are written in more subtle but similar ways, and that doesn't make that attorney a bad a bad attorney. It just it's just if that's what you want, then great, you go for that attorney. But um, that attorney is going to approach the case, you know, perhaps just as skilled as a dispute resolution attorney, but they're going to approach it with a different goal. Right. Um, and I and I've had attorneys like that. I've had I've I've been opposite attorneys. Where there is no settle, there's no settlement, there's no compromise, there's no um, moving these parties towards a more peaceful future. It's their goal is solely to get what their client wants, and they do anything and everything to accomplish that. And that's a different type of advocacy, and that's great. Um, and there's very successful and good lawyers who do that. But if that's not what you want, then you need to look at how that attorney describes their approach. And you need to ask them when you're talking to the attorney, you know, if you get bombarded with angry emails from the other attorney, how are you going to respond to those? Because that drives up fees and that yeah. instigates and inflames problems. So you need to ask your attorney how they're going to respond to instigating behavior. How do they see the case? Um, how do they how do they advocate for for you? How do they approach cases? How do they approach their own clients? You know, um, you know, there's also, that's also important. You know, I tell my clients right up front, I expect you to be a shining star. If you need to produce some discovery, if you need to um, right. abide by a court order, I expect you to do those things because if we do ever end up in front of a judge, which sometimes we do, You've done everything right. You are the beacon 
um, you have the credibility for the judge. So when I speak, they're going to listen and that benefits you in the end. That's great advice, actually. You know, um, I always say that too on my end. My favorite client is the one that listens to me. Yeah. <laughs> Every, why you hire? That's, well, that's it. That's it. So how would someone get a hold of you if they needed your services? Yeah, so uh, my website is jhatchlaw.com and my email is jennifer at jhatchlaw.com, right? jhatchlaw.com is my website and jennifer at jhatchlaw.com is my um, email. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn and um, you can also call me at 339-204-6888. Oh, that's great. You've given us a lot of great information. Do you have a final thought you'd like to leave with us today? Um, no, it's just been a pleasure to know you, John. I really like your approach um, to lending and problem solving. Um, I really see uh, divorce as restructuring a family and, and how can we do that so you feel better about your future um, despite the stress of you know separating from your spouse. Oh, that's great. Well, Jennifer, this has been a pleasure, definitely. And um, yeah. We'll listen, have a wonderful day and we'll catch up soon. Yeah, you too. All right, bye, John. All right, we'll see you. Thanks for listening to Divorce Literacy. Discover more strategies and solutions on divorce mortgage planning at divorcelendingassociation.com.